Hi friends, I'm Courtney. I'm a performer, speaker, and a writer. I'm a mama to three crazy boys and a super sweet dog. I decided 12 years ago that I needed to create a business that worked for me instead of me working for it. I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur who may be considered a serial entrepreneur by some, but then I realized that all of my businesses focused on connection, community, and creating an incredible experience. I cannot wait to share with you how to make small but mighty changes in your life to affect your overall well-being and create a life and business you want to get up in the morning for. That's right, my friends. I am the Renaissance Mama. Hi, friends. This is Courtney, the Renaissance Mama, and I have a very special guest for all of you today. Please say hello to Charlotte Schwartz. Ah, Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking your time from your busy, busy day. Charlotte is a busy mama. She has worked in the legal field. She is a marathon runner, and she is a fantastic writer. Charlotte, I know I just told my audience a little bit about you, but can you share a little bit what you are known for? Oh, um, sure. I, yeah, I have, I do a lot of things. Um, and a lot of people say like, well, you do so many things. And I'm like, the key is that you just don't do anything really well. You do all the things, but you just kind of do them like mediocre. Um, that's how you can do many things at once. That's my secret. But, um, no, I have, uh, I'm a parent of four kids, um, in a blended family. So I have a stepdaughter and then I have three of my own, um, uh, I am a co-parent, um, to my two boys who are the, the middle in the group of four kids. Uh, so their dad and I, uh, share uh, them between our two homes, uh, very successfully. Um, I've been working, uh, as uh, it's called a law clerk. So it's a legal support position, um, in the area of family law only for 20 years, 21 years. Um, and, uh, so I've seen a lot of things a lot of uh, ugly things some laughable things depends on the day the job brings something new often um and uh and then yeah I uh, started writing I guess about 10 years ago um last year uh, a book that I wrote called your place or mine which is a guide to sort of co-parenting and developing co-parenting agreements was published uh in September um that was really exciting uh and then uh for some reason I'm a part-time student as well finally working on my undergraduate degree that I should have got 20 years ago um so I'm in my second year at U of T uh in the English department I love that that is so amazing (laughs) I I need to tell you this and my audience this. So I have a secret obsession with Charlotte's writing. I am <laughs> such a fan and have been for years. Um, I think I had my first son when you had your first son close to there. And I will say there are like many- 2011. 
Yeah, oh, 2011. So that'd be my second one, but still right in that like midst of like new motherhood. And I would, there was many times I would read either one of your blogs or even just a Facebook post and be bawling, like to the point where (laughs) I was like inconsolable, but because your writing is so beautiful and it's funny and it's like, it's just, it's it's amazing. So um, I would love for you to share with my audience. Um, I know you mentioned your book and it's it sounds it's absolutely incredible. Um, can you share a little bit sort of why you decided this was a book like you you had to write? Yeah, I so like I said, I saw everything. Sorry, my dog is barking for some reason. <laughs> okay, it's stopped now. Um, I, I've seen a lot in family life. When I started this job, I had just turned 20, right? I didn't have kids. Uh, I didn't have much in the way of obligations. Like my biggest priority was like getting paid so I could go to like Le Chateau on Queen street (laughs) and like buy clothes for the club or whatever. So, um, that was my, you know, those are my priorities. And so I was working in, in the, the field and I was seeing all the things um, and doing good work, but I wasn't really making the, the personal connection yet. Like I hadn't really, somehow hadn't really captured the fact that these were real people and real lives, you know, happening in front of me in real time. And so um, you know, fast forward a few years and, uh, I did, I was married. I did have my own kid. Uh, I, I guess I had at least one by then. And it was, um, it got really hard. Like the work got hard, like just watching people, um, especially, and even 10 years ago, like the laws were really still quite matriarchal which is unusual around kids so often kids would just go with mom if the parents split up um and the dad in the equation and I don't mean to be so heteronormative but typically like in that typical you know mom dad equation um the kids would end up uh with dad you know like one overnight a week and every other weekend and then the the vast majority of the time they'd be with mom and that was just sort of the static thing like everybody sort of that's what they did um and you know getting a grip on divorce rates is a really interesting thing because we say like approximately 50 percent of marriages end in divorce but what i make kind of clear in my book is what that doesn't account for is the like huge group of people who are um couples but not actually legally married so there's no data on people who you know live in a in a marriage like relationship but you know don't end up like legalizing the the agreement between them to be together and then if they split up there's no data on their separation rates so it it's happening a lot it happens a lot to a lot more people than you even know and so that means that these things are happening to a lot of kids Right. They're being sort of unevenly split between homes. They're being in a lot of cases, they were being like made to say where they wanted to be, Mm. which parent they want, which is just terrible. Um, And so I'd seen a lot and I'd also had the privilege of working alongside a lot of really talented lawyers um, and some terrible ones, but some really, really talented ones who 
were really responsible about saying like, I think, you know, your kids should be with you equally. And if that means you have to make, you know, concessions in your life now that you don't have typically mom sitting at home waiting for them to come home from school, you're going to need to change your lifestyle. You're going to need to change the hours that you work and, and bend and flex around the kids the way you always had to married or not. Um, and when I got to see that in practice a lot more, it, it became so obvious to me that that just should be the way that it is for most kids. I, I appreciate there are lots of scenarios where it's not necessarily the best thing for kids to be with both parents equally, but the majority of the time it is the best thing. Um, and so uh, when I, my ex-husband and I split up, uh, like I said, we shared two kids at the time, they were only three and five, they're really little. Um, and I went through all the motions, even having been exposed to all of the stuff through work. You know, I remember saying to him something, we didn't even like, we didn't have this bomb drop on our relationship and split up because of it. It just kind of worked toward an ending very slowly. Right. And so, um, still I, I remember saying things like, don't you dare think you're getting my kids half the time. Like I said, all the worst things yeah. that I could have said. Uh, and yet here we are with like a very predictable, stringent schedule for where they are and when, um, as well as lots of provisions for flexibility, um, because it's just actually what works best for them. And, you know, six years later now, my kids are very well adjusted. They're happy. They're healthy. They're doing well in school. Um, and those are typically the markers for how well a kid is doing you know like when we go to court claiming a kid's not doing well we're yeah. showing the court their report cards that say they're not doing well we're showing them letters from the doctor saying they're not adjusting well um and we're not you know we, we haven't experienced that because we made it a priority I think not to deal with money stuff first not to deal with you know all the things that come out of a relationship but to get the kids arrangements solidified quickly um, and when we were able to do that and take all of that like emotionally charged stuff out of the equation it really made the rest a lot easier That's you know I didn't find myself crying about dishes and you know a, a chair and stuff and yeah. because there there wasn't that layer of like you know like everything is just exacerbated by heightened emotions and we didn't have that and I I felt like this can be better for people like th this can unfold in a better way um but they just need to know that that way exists and they need all the information when people separate they tend to be like oh like who's your you know who's your lawyer and like i need you know this lawyer who's gonna like rip people apart and rip their heads off and like it, there are lawyers like that for sure but i promise you you probably don't want them like you probably want to make this as easy for yourself and your kids as possible. So I I wrote the book because I saw a lack of books like it when I was looking for them for myself when I was first separating. A lot of the books exist, but they're written by a psychologist who maybe isn't a parent or like maybe has never been divorced or they're written by a lawyer with the same, you know, uh, variables. Like I just wanted to hear the words come from like a regular person's mouth not that lawyers and psychologists aren't regular <laughs> people but 
I digress. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I just wanted yes. to hear it in regular speak. Yeah. So I wrote it myself. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's been really rewarding to put it out there. I bet I, um, I, when my, I was around six when my parents separated and they didn't go through any lawyers. They kind of tried to work out an agreement my, themselves, but it was very different from anything else my friends were going through. Like my friends had the families who were separated and, you know, the parents couldn't even talk to each other and there'd be a honk at the, you know, the door when you had to go leave and you couldn't go here because you're going to dad's house and you couldn't do this activity because you'd be at mom's house. Whereas my family did it in this very like chill kind of loose way but they they had it figured out and there was days where my dad would come to my family home and have a few sleepovers and my mom would go out so we would have the consistency and then there was days where we'd like go to his place for a few days and hang out but it was very very relaxed he still came to all like Christmases we went on family vacations together and now he's very very good friends with my stepdad like it was just this like very natural like it was this is what our family is it doesn't look like anyone else's but I think I even knew at a pretty young age how kind of unique that was especially when we're talking like ooh, 20 30 something 30 something years ago right like it was yeah, I know it's wild yeah, we're not old, different are we? no we are right I know I just had a big birthday yeah. this past week but yeah me too me too oh, oh I, happy birthday <laughs> you too I saw some of yours it looks like you had a good good time celebrated <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it but I did apparently have a good time yeah I love so. that um so like I said you saw the need for this book and I think it is so important and like you said taking it from the lens of somebody who's been there and seen so many different things and being a parent and going through it what is like your main cope that readers will take away when they when they read it um, that's a good question. Just that, um, it can be done in an inexpensive, uh, relatively short period of time. Cause that's a pretty um, big factor too, right? Like the thought of the cost of how this is all going to work out must be very intimidating for a lot of people. I mean, most people don't, when you when you retain a lawyer and go the court route to deal with this stuff most people don't walk out of that scenario in toronto anyway um without having spent about like 75 to a hundred thousand dollars dollars like wow right and and like where do most average sort of income earning people get that amount of money right yeah right they're all borrowing it is yeah. is the answer and for what Right. Like it's, it's not all, I know some people need, need that level of legal protection, but most don't. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm not trying to like create a situation where there's suddenly no job for me anymore, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of money. It's a huge commitment. And I think a lot of people don't really know what they're getting into when they go down that road. Um, the resources are far better spent on other things like therapy um, family therapy, uh, mediation, as opposed to litigation, like the money is far better spent on so many other things. Um, and the other thing is just 
uh, like now, you know, you and I have now reached the age where a lot of our friends are getting separated or divorced. Like tip, statistically, this is like first divorce age. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of people come to me because they know what I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first question is like, what am I going to do? Are my kids going to be okay? Yeah. And now, like I, I used to have many different answers for that. And now I'm like, yes, your kids are going to be totally fine. But that is like 100% dependent on how you conduct yourself from here on. So as much as it's important to, you know, there's all these platitudes and things about like, you can't pour from an empty cup and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying I don't believe in those things. But in, in a time like this, like in a, in a bit of like a crisis, you don't have, a, as a parent, you don't really have a choice but to put the kids first. Yeah. You, you're not, you're not going to be dealing with your own grief or your own feelings for a long time you're, you're going to be making sure that the kids get through it yeah, and develop some resilience as a result of going through that process with you carrying them through it and holding them through it. it if you don't, it, it can, be, it can look so many ways. Like we all know people whose parents were divorced, you know, older than, than you would have been like yeah. my parents, I, I was 21 when my parents separated, uh-huh. but my sister was 13. And my sister has uh, sustained a lot of trauma because of the way that that went down and the things that happened after the separation. And we are, we were always very different people, but we have very different lives because of the difference in age when we experienced that. Like we experienced it in such different ways because I didn't live at home anymore for one, right? And she was in grade nine. Yeah. So, you know, like difficult age anyway, and then to throw like the total upheaval of your family into the mix is a lot. So yeah, if people need to prioritize their kids in these processes um, and not themselves. And that's so hard because we're always talking about self-love and me time and, you know, all of these, like putting yourself first because you're the one caring for everyone. And if you can't care for yourself, you can't care for anyone else. Like they throw all these things at you as a parent and you're like, when would I have time? Like when would I have time to put myself (laughs) first? I wouldn't. Um, But, and of course I understand, you know, the greater meaning behind it, but yeah, the kids through this process, they have to go first. And that's really important. Sorry, oh. that's really important for people to know. Yeah, I have three dogs. It's a lot. I don't recommend it. Oh, I love it. They're like, yeah. we want in. They want they want their time on the camera as well. Yeah, totally. Charlotte, what did you think of the process of writing a book? How was that? <gasps> oh my goodness. Um, ever since I started writing, I've like I've really wanted to write a book, like yeah. a, a, a fiction though, like something really uh I'll read it whatever you write I will read it I tell you I'm like I'm your Um, best fan of like anything I'll read it perfect (laughs) amazing I I was sort of like I wanted to I don't know I thought I was gonna write like the next Twilight series or something and then um I met uh I met with somebody who worked in publishing who was like I think it's a really good idea to write a book about what you know yeah and I was like, um, I don't, 
okay, like, is that really exciting? And they were like, well, that's up to you if it's exciting or not. And so, you know, I, I started working on the book. I sent a proposal and it was accepted. Um, and then the real work began because I am, I consider myself a writer. However, um, things that I didn't pay attention to in high school, uh, like grammar, um, uh, using more, you know, more diverse vocabulary, all of those things are really important. And, um, yeah, so the, the editing stage was gutting. Yeah. Like we worked for about six months editing the book to the point where like at some, uh, one of the stages, I didn't even feel like I had written the book. Like it didn't feel like me anymore. Um, which was by design, uh, cause it definitely made it a better book. Um, and all the ideas were still there, but it was like someone else, you know, wrote them down. So it was, um, it was great, but really humbling. Um, cause I'm used to, you know, uh, like Mr. Briggs, OAC writer's craft where, um, everything was, oh, this is excellent Charlotte. And I was like, thank you so much. I'm, I am perfect. Um, so to see, you know, to see a real editor be like, oh my God, there are so many things wrong with this. I was like, oh, uh, oh, like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, and I had to, yeah, you have to be, there's a lot of humility involved in what feels like an, like a personal attack. It isn't, but it certainly can feel that way. So that was the most surprising part of that process for sure. Um, and just how long it takes, Yeah, you know, like you don't appreciate like these people like Danielle Steele who write like 50 books a year. I'm like, how, because it took me two and a half years to write this one small book. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Um, I know you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, you're sort of joking, but seriously, how, how do you do it all? All the things be, you seem like such a great parent and you're obviously like working full time and now you're in school and running marathons and how, how do you manage all this craziness Uh, and the dogs, the dogs themselves take a lot of, (laughs) it's a lot of dogs. Yeah. Two of them came with the relationship in fairness. So you can't really do a lot about that. Yeah. Um, and then we did get one together who's like right next to me trying to eat Valentine's day chocolate. Mine's Um, he's participating in the show. (laughs) Perfect. He's doing like the recording. Pretty much. Um, Yeah. He'll edit it later. Yeah, I I think that there was a big um, there was a big about face for me when the pandemic started, which was three years ago somehow yeah, almost right? like two I in know. a month it'll be three years I know yeah um and uh, and I say when it started because I'm I kind of am of the opinion it's not quite over yet I agree. <laughs> um, and so I. I was like, this is going to be bananas at home. Like I'm going to be working at home. My job actually got busier because of the pandemic, because as you can imagine, people who already don't like each other, who are then forced to be together all the time for the sake of public health. Yeah. Um, yeah they start to separate and divorce too. They're, you know, I, they're, they're like, you know what? I'm done. 
I've really wondered what the stats are on that. Like, I feel like they should do a whole study on that because I'm sure the numbers are what you would expect them to be. But through the roof, for sure. Yeah. So they've gone up like anecdotally, for sure. Um, but I, I was like, we're going to need to keep a schedule in place. Like we're going to need to be organized. I'm going to need to prioritize my mental health a bit. Like I am, I am a kind of a type A, like high volume person. I like to do a lot of stuff. I feel really lost if I'm not doing a lot of stuff. That's good and bad. That's not always a good thing, but I, um, I really wanted to not come out like just feeling like we'd been put through the ringer and I knew the kids were going to be home for more than two weeks <laughs> you know like I I knew it wasn't going to be as simple as it looked or was sounding to be so I um in a, in response to that sort of situation I took on a lot more like I, we created a schedule at home where like, no matter what, like we were all going for a walk for an hour at like 8.30 in the morning before the day started. And I was getting up at like 5 a.m. to work out every day. Like I prioritize doing that every day. And like, I do it at 5 a.m. Not because I love waking up early, but honestly, it is the only time where no one needs anything from me. Right. Right. Like, by 6 15 a.m there's like I want breakfast where's my lunch I need this shirt where's the laundry yeah you know like it's so 5 a.m is my time which I actually um adopted that principle from Michelle Obama because <laughs> in her book she talks about how like she was like you know what forget it like screw you guys it's 5 a.m I'm getting up I'm going to the gym you guys deal with it if you happen to wake up deal with it but like I'm gonna go do me for an hour and I'll be back and I'll be a better parent because of it and so uh, I took on a lot of extra things then I just that's when I decided to go back to school because it was all online anyway it just seemed like a bit of a no-brainer to yeah. you know at least start that way um and and everyone did okay because we had a really predictable, you know, like we introduced fancy Fridays. I was going to say go fancy Fridays. Yeah. I loved them. They were my favorite to see your we kids. We still do them. Oh, I love that so much. So share yeah, with my audience no, we're a little still bit. doing them. So every Friday, oh, um, yes. So, yeah, every, every other Friday when all of the kids are here together. Um, we would have, uh, or we do have uh, a fancy dinner. Sometimes not actually fancy, but uh, we make a dinner at home um, and everyone has to dress up. They can interpret that however they want. Um, but everyone has to dress up. Uh, the kids get to drink like Shirley Temples out of wine glasses. Um, and and we just eat dinner together and it's and the kids expect it now. Like they know it's yeah. Fancy Friday. Yeah um to, tonight is fancy Friday or tomorrow oh sorry today's Thursday tomorrow <laughs> is fancy Friday it's a Valentine's Day theme oh. one. um I know so yeah no we just introduced a lot of things like that also because that I mean it still feels like that but at, at the beginning of all of this it felt very there's a lot of dread like I had no idea what no one really knew what COVID was going to do or not do Right. Right. And there was no vaccines on the horizon. Like there was no relief in sight. You just heard all this terrible news all the time. You would walk, you know, go for a walk with your kids and the whole park was taped up because yes. you couldn't even touch playground equipment. Like it was really scary. Yeah. 
Um, and I remember reading an article that Margaret Atwood wrote like an op-ed for the Globe and Mail, I think, about how she had lived through the maybe the smallpox epidemic, I guess. And it was like a mandatory quarantine here. And you like, and you couldn't go out and you could, cause there was no, there was no vaccines available. And like it, that smallpox was very harmful. Um, and I remember the article just being like, and you know, like I was, she, she was born during smallpox. So her mom was like quarantined with this oh newborn, like a young mom quarantined with a newborn and like yeah. not able to go outside. And she was like, and it's okay. And now I'm like old and fine. And so we'll be like, we'll get through this one too. Yes. Um, and I remember getting like feeling a little bit of hopefulness from that, but otherwise it was just so much dread and like the lineups at the grocery store and Costco, like everything was terrifying. It felt like I was watching like a show or a movie oh, yeah. about the, like, surreal, the end times. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like the grocery store shelves being empty, like it was very scary. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we put all these things in place just to have things to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think how we get so much done is just like being organized is key. Even if you're not inherently an organized person, you kind of have to be, there are six people in this house and with very like diverse needs like they range in age from four to 13 um and you know like they're all really different people who need different things so being organized was also a priority um and uh yeah it that's really the only way to do a lot of things is to be or you don't have to like I said you don't have to do any of them well it's not like you have to excel at all of the things you're doing like I, yes I run marathons very slowly yeah. <laughs> like I'm never gonna run a three hour and 30 minute marathon I'm not like aging into my Boston qualifier there you go you know stage <laughs> none of that I it's I, yeah but I I can run for four hours so I just do occasionally yeah. um and I don't and, and do I get anything out of it yeah four hours out of the house amazing uh, would I rather be lying down for four hours sure um but yeah you get you know you get I think you get what you put into things yeah and if those things are really important to you you'll put a lot into them even if you're tired even if you are maxed out in every other respect so it's it's really the only way stay organized and like right. what you're doing yes yeah um, what do you think is some of the hardest things about co-parenting? Um, that's a big question, Courtney. So <laughs> again, organization. Yeah. Key. Like my kids are on the schedule that is the most supported by social sciences. Yeah. So we're on a two, two, five, five schedule. So that means in our case. Every Monday and Tuesday night, they're with dad. Every Wednesday and Thursday night, they're with me. And then it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Okay. That flip-flop, flip-flop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two days, two days, five days, five days, two days, two days, five yeah. days, five days. So that seems like a huge headache. You get really used to it really quickly. It's very predictable. And, and we've normalized it because it's just what we do. My kids know where they're supposed to be and yes. when. Um. We live really proximate to each other. That can be really that can be really difficult. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like we, Seth and I both live in East York. We live like two kilometers apart. Um, we both incur tremendous housing costs as a result of doing yeah. that. But that we're our kids' school is in the middle of where we live, so like they go back and forth. It's yeah, it's really easy. We have keys to each other's houses. Um, in case of emergencies or like. And by emergency, I mean, like, my kid forgets his trumpet at one house and needs it at the other or something. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, the, the hardest part, I think, is staying organized um, and then being able to be as flexible as possible for, like, life. So, yes, we have a schedule in place. Um, it is meant to be consistent and routine for the benefit of the kids but like I my job is strictly in Ontario I do not have to travel for work I don't have to do anything like that Steph on the other hand travels a fair bit for work sometimes with very little notice uh so when something comes up like you can't just say oh sorry work I can't I have my kids those days right so it falls to me or if I need to do something it falls to him um to to take that to take that time um that can be hard and it can breed some resentment if you feel like you're the one being more flexible more often or whatever but again like when I whenever I feel that way I just remind myself that like what like what else would the kids do then like where would they go Right. Like, of course, they're going to be with me if maybe I was looking forward to that day or two. Yeah. So like, you know, I find I spend most of the time that they're not here, like restocking my house. Yeah. <laughs> like getting That's the it. food again, getting like cleaning all the things. and organized. And yeah, exactly. Um, and that's just, it's just like a cycle now. And it's a very, very predictable pattern. But being flexible is really important um, for so many reasons. But it also just demonstrates for the kids because they're watching, right? Oh, like gosh, yes. one of the things I say in the in my book is kids are not stupid. And just because they're kids doesn't mean their EQ is low. Like they see and they hear and they know what's going on. So yeah. when they see that there's flexibility between their parents, that like later one day they'll appreciate it um or they'll they'll see that it was something that was just very normal in their family and I think that's really important too um but one of the things that tends to be really tricky it wasn't necessarily for Seth and I but you you start as co-parents and then people repartner yeah right so then it's not just like parent on one side parent on the other but it can be whoever those people are with now as well that tends to complicate things a bit um parents you'll find don't always love the fact that their kids are suddenly spending time with this like other adult that they've never met whose name they don't know and they're, they're like hearing about them through their kids yes um a lot of parents don't like that and they get their backup about it um and that's just something to work through. Like it's something to be prepared for. Cause yeah. I think at the end of the day, when people repartner successfully, they're usually a lot happier. Yeah. Right. So Makes you get sense. a better version yeah. of your co-parent. Yeah. 
Like you get, you get a nicer, more reasonable, more flexible version of your co-parent when they're repartnered too. Yeah. Um, when only one parent is repartnered and one isn't, that's also tricky. Um, but repartnering is a bit of an obstacle and there's lots of ways to work through that. Um, you can have lots of provisions in a separation agreement or in a parenting plan about new partners. Uh, like in, in the case of Seth and I, we have a rule around introducing the kids to new partners. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, loosely, it says, you know, they shouldn't meet a new person until the relationship is like six months old or yeah. something. Yeah. And I get that that could mean nothing to some people meet and get married in less than six months. But um, the general rule is like, make sure your relationship with that person is pretty solid before you yeah. let the kids kind of fall in love with them, right? Because um, then it's hard for the kids. So that's the probably the most tricky part other yeah. than just living, like living the principle of flexibility. Um, the repartnering piece is hard for sure. And I bet there's times too where like you probably do something out of emotion or haste or whatever and then realize later on maybe that wasn't the exact right way to go about it I know friends recently who I think she's just about to get remarried and they they're looking at some of the provisions and they're like we used we said what what was the rules right like so trying right trying to go over that again and be like okay yes at the time this made sense but now now it's a little bit a little bit much so yeah yeah awesome uh... sorry go ahead (laughs) Sorry, I lost my audio for a second. No, that's okay. No, that's uh, so common. <laughs> it's such a common plight. Yeah. All right. Well, we have got a few minutes left. So I have a few more quick questions for you. Sure. Uh, who is really inspiring you right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I follow on Instagram, like an influencer in Toronto, um, Sasha Exeter. Uh, She is like a, she's everything. She's like a former athlete. Uh, Well, I mean, she's an athlete now. She's like a super fit mom of one. um, And she's like a fashion designer and model for Joe Fresh. And she does all these really cool things. And um, she's a co-parent. And she is like unapologetically a co-parent and like I her, love her those and her people. former partner. Yeah. Yeah. People who like are her like her former partner travel with their kid together. Right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I it's know. very cool. Um, and just any, like anybody who has that kind of reach, like she has, you know, a gazillion followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. anybody who has that kind of reach and uses it to, yes. to propel those ideals I I really appreciate and I find that really inspiring just like I try to do it too but I don't have nearly the platform that she does not yet one day (laughs) maybe we'll see it's true the night is young right um what is a book that you are either reading right now or you're like super pumped to read or maybe one you just um I no, that's a good question. I'm reading um, Spare, the Prince Harry biography oh. um, with my book club. Um, it's what you would expect. 
it's beautifully ghostwritten by somebody else um and it's uh it's really sad like it's really it's really sad like there's a lot that as you know people who weren't connected to the royal family don't know about this and like the circumstances surrounding princess diana's death and what happened to the boys after that mm. um and prince harry was the same age he was 11 when his mom died uh as my my current current husband my husband now um was also 11 when his dad passed away um and it's really interesting to see like there's a lot of similarities in just how like how you come into adulthood through yes. something yeah. like that um so it's it's really good so far i i highly recommend it if you're into the royal family or someone who was willing to debunk a lot of the myths about the royal family because it's essentially a tell-all um about how messed up the monarchy is <laughs> right uh, yeah. wow. um just before we go do you have any advice for families who are either considering co-parenting or going through the whole messy ordeal yeah, if I think if you think it's done, it's probably done. I think a lot of people spend like years in this weird dance of like, oh, you know, maybe when the kids are older, we'll get along better. Or, you know, like people put a lot of weight on like certain things happening to make the relationship better. But I think ultimately, like if the relationship appears to be failing, it's because it probably is. Um, and uh, that you can have many different types of relationships with the same person like seth and i used to be married and now we're co-parents and our co-parenting relationship works far better than any relationship we had prior to this um it's really important to know and it's really important to know that um, you sorry you can be that's really loud. You can be the, um, you can design your own thing. Like you don't have to look the way everyone else looks and your family doesn't either. Yep. And you're in good company. Like there are so many people doing this now, it, you know, in the eighties or whatever, I'm sure it was super rare. Oh gosh. And now yeah. it's like ha half of kids ha come from, you know, different types of families and that's okay. It's part of what makes the world go around. So taking comfort in all of those things is helpful for sure. Awesome. Well, where can my audience either get your book or reach you or figure out more about you? Um, your place or mine uh, is available from Denver and press uh, on Amazon um, and at local bookstores um there is a link tree on my instagram page which is at charlotte underscore dobo d-o-b-o -O, um where you can locate local bookstores near you uh that are carrying the book it's also at chapters indigo um and uh it's available as an audiobook um if that's your thing on audible and uh, at the public library, Toronto Public Library. So you can hold, put a hold on it there too. Cool. Awesome. Charlotte, thank you so much for today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. And thank you friends and audience. We'll see you later.